This is an MPB Think Radio podcast. To hear previous shows, visit mpbonline.org or download the MPB Public Radio app to listen on your iPhone or Android phone on demand. Welcome back. It's MPB Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. Got a good show coming up for you today. It is uh, getting to that time here in in Mississippi and in the Deep South where the college football season turns from fun to super-duper serious. As uh, I know, in high school football, we're we're getting to where the playoff spots are being – uh, wrapped up a little bit. People are clinching playoff spots, and then they're working for home field advantage and interesting things like that. We got a bunch of big matchups coming up this weekend. I know the uh, out of all the matchups, I think the MAIS, the Mississippi Association of Independent Schools, uh, takes uh, center stage with their big matchup this week. Presbyterian Christian out of Hattiesburg, eight and zero. He's taking on Jackson Prep and Flowood. They are 8-0 as well. So that's going to be a big matchup. You've got Brandon playing uh, over in Meridian tonight. You've got Starkville, the defending uh, 6A champions in Madison to take on the Madison Central Jaguars. And the Jaguars coming off a big win last week, knocking off previously undefeated Warren Central. And in that same region, you got Northwest Rankin, who beat Starkville two weeks ago. They're traveling to Clinton who is the unanimous number one team in the state of Mississippi. Oh, and by the way, Tupelo, who is undefeated and uh, is uh, maybe the most uh, under-the-radar 7-0 team uh, in the history of Mississippi 6A football, is uh, hosting South Panola. If you'll recall, the Tigers, who are one of the perennial playoff teams uh, in 6A, uh, stumbled out of the gates 1-4 and four to start the season, but they're 3-0 and oh in region play, and that defense is super salty. And last week they, they kind of turned the scoring on for the first time this year in a win over Hernando, I believe it was. And so if they get that offense going, I said this last week, and I really believe it, that defense is championship ready right now. They add some offense to it. They can be a dangerous, dangerous team. And all they need is a ticket into the playoffs, and all the records start over. We've seen it every year. Somebody gets bounced in the first round. They had a great, great season. And then down to the coast in 6A, it's anybody's ball game. But George County looks really good right now. The Rebels uh, off to a 2-0 start in region play. And then they got another big one. They're going to be at Ocean Springs in Jackson County this week if they can win another big road game against uh, one of the uh, perennial better teams in that region. That's going to be a big, big start for George County this week. MRA and Jackson Academy is also a big game in the MAIS as uh, MRA tries to uh, rebound from uh, um, a loss they had to PCS a couple of weeks ago in overtime. Uh, So lots of stuff going on, lots of big games. Tri-County and Canton Academy playing there, undefeated both of those. But um, some some college football this week. Southern Miss is going to be at LSU. Leonard Fournette. Uh, today I saw a tweet from Tim Doherty with the Hattiesburg American. Looks like uh, uh, Leonard Fournette is not going to play this week, um, which uh, I don't know if that necessarily <laughs> means a great deal uh, for LSU. They just plug Geis in and keep on moving along. As, as Orgeron said, Geis runs like, uh, 
what do you say? He he runs, uh, he plays uh, aggressively like Warren Sapp, and uh, runs like um, Reggie Bush. It's a pretty pretty decent con- uh, combination right there. Old Orgeron's got away with words, doesn't he? He does. That's going to be interesting for Southern Miss, especially coming off a loss. I don't know. Maybe UTSA was a trap game. You know, I thought earlier in the year that uh, Southern Miss, is, it seems like every year they grab a game they're not supposed to and put one down that they're not supposed to. Um, you thought they had that one out of the way with Troy uh, earlier this year. But I, I didn't like the idea of two far west Texas road trips inside of 20 days, uh, which is what they had with uh, – uh, they went out to UTEP a couple weeks ago, home game with Rice, and then uh, back out to San Antonio the week before LSU. You got LSU on the horizon. Uh, I could see how heavily favored against San Antonio, who was one and three coming in, how uh, you know they could just, regardless of how hard you try. I, I mean, sometimes you just don't have the focus you need. Sometimes, and sometimes, no matter how hard you try, you just, you know. Uh, you can't get it locked in. And also, Southern defensively, was just they were upside down from the start in that game. Defensively, this team's looked really bad they all have. year. Yeah, uh, really. they, they were pretty good in the second half against Kentucky, um, and it, but it appears to be Kentucky is one of the worst uh, offenses <laughs> in the SEC, and uh, they've just looked really bad since uh, that second half of the Kentucky game. They looked really bad in the first half of the Kentucky game. Yeah, <laughs> so and one of their big issues offensively. Uh, I mean, they they continue to pack to just stack up yardage, uh, but they they've had problems turning the ball over, and then they've had problems finishing drives. So that's uh, it's been an issue. So um, also, you've got Ole Miss and Arkansas. Ole Miss coming off a bye week, uh, a huge game with Arkansas coming up this week. Now, here's an interesting thing: Arkansas, in spite of being uh, what up in the top fifteen in the AP top twenty five a couple of times uh, this year is 0-2 in the league and facing uh, this Ole Miss Rebels team, who is a seven-point favorite up there uh, in Fayetteville. Now, that's never been a, a fun place for Ole Miss to go. It's not been good uh, to the Rebels or their fan base in the time that uh, that they've been in the SEC. I hope it'll be a fun place this Saturday because I'm going. for the, you know, Oh, okay. Maybe not for the game, but just uh, for, I'm going to see Fayetteville. Never been there before. Oh, okay. I mean, I'm going to the game, but oh, okay. You know, I was going to say that's a. I'm not going to go all the way there to not go to the game. It's an extensive trip to not wind up seeing a football game. But uh, that'll be pretty. Uh, that'll be pretty interesting. Yeah, that's been a house of know, horrors you know, for the, the Rebels, Jay. The, the knock for the longest time is that it was uh, next to impossible to get into Fayetteville. Is it? Is that the case anymore? Or is it, According it has, to Google Maps, it's seven hours from here. So I mean, right. you go through the Delta. So. Uh, I wouldn't say next to impossible, but uh, speed limit's fifty-five. But I remember we'll people see. complaining when they first came into the SEC. There's, not, I mean, there's not a whole lot of infrastructure that goes into there. It's not easy to fly into Fayetteville. Um, you know, it's. But anyway, I'll I, I'll give you a full report next week. I just don't know. I mean, I know the area has grown by leaps and bounds, both in terms of population and development. Supposedly, it's a beautiful area and one of the prettiest campuses in the Southeastern Conference. There you go. Well, with they where said it that sits about in the Ozark, with where it sits in the Ozark. I've been to a few, and that's not the case. that's not the case. Oh, no? But uh, you know, we'll see what it. I'll give you a full report this week. I'll let you off the hook on that one right yeah. there. I was going to ask you which ones. Anyway, well, we're, we are uh, we were hoping to have Rick Cleveland, but he is uh, you know he's he's trying to chase down the inside of a story that we all were kind of shocked at yesterday. The Clarion Ledger, Michael Bonner. Mississippi State beat writer for the Clarion Ledger, 
they published a story yesterday uh, where Bonner cited sources that John Cohen, the current head baseball coach at Mississippi State, is going to be the the next athletic director at Mississippi State. And, um, boy, that was met with uh, some resistance from Mississippi State, including um, uh, Keenum, the, the president of the school, um, calling it uh, irresponsible uh, reporting, essentially, uh, which is that's very strong wording from the president of the university to talk to a beat writer um, for, you know, the beat writer of the sports teams, uh, which is very interesting. But, uh, you know, Sid Salter, I have one of their word for uh, that we won't we may not get to use today. Their P- <laughs> Sid Salter is one of their PR directors. He had some strong wording for it also. Uh, and it's very interesting, but Bonner and we, I've got, uh, an interview that I conducted with him yesterday afternoon that we'll play back here a little bit later on in the show. Uh, he stands by his report. And so, uh, this is very interesting. Uh, I don't know how the, my thoughts on the article itself. Um, and I, and I asked Michael about this a little bit, I, I think, you know, maybe where some people misinterpret it or where Michael or or who, you know, Michael and the editors of this story maybe leave it open for misinterpretation is where it goes from. Uh, I mean, the report is based off of uh, sources and, and, and what he's been told by sources. And he says that to begin with. But then about halfway through, uh, it has some pretty, uh, pretty strong wording that is essentially written in first-person past tense, as though it is it is first-hand knowledge that it has gone down and has already happened, which is very interesting. And I think that's I think that's maybe where people take, um, you know, maybe where they take some acceptance, um, exception, excuse me, to what he had to write about that. Uh, we'll have that uh, that interview coming up in this next segment. Uh, so stay tuned for that. It, it's been very interesting. And the, the response from Dr. Keenum at Mississippi State, I, I understand where he's coming from because... Uh, I don't, so please tell me why. Well, look, here's <laughs> why you understand that. <laughs> his wording... Just to play devil's advocate here. His wording is too strong, okay? I mean, he, he cracked back on a beat writer for a newspaper being the president of a university, uh, one of the major public universities in this state. He cracked back on the beat writer a little bit too hard, and I think that's going to be some egg that sits on his face for a while. But I do understand that... If the if the search proper for the athletic director has not been completed, then this damages Mississippi State's ability to properly uh, interview, negotiate with candidates. And this makes them look bad to candidates. It also means there's uh, either again, somebody's trying to set Mike up or there's a leak in their athletic department, which I mean, either way. That's bad news all the way around. And if there's a leak inside the athletic department, then, you know, somebody needs to get that cleaned up as fast as they possibly can. But um, I understand from Mississippi State's perspective where, you know, if you have, you know, two or three candidates, let's say one of them is the person that uh, on the inside amongst the people who are the decision makers, this is the person that you really want 
but you haven't had a chance to interview him yet, him or her, and him or her sees this article that Mississippi State has basically already made the hire, they've made their choice, well, then that might turn the person that you really want but haven't had a chance to interview yet off on the job altogether. And that's damaging for Mississippi State. It makes their athletics director search harder than it could be. And so here's, while I believe that that Michael Bonner had it on good authority, he's been a good, he's a good reporter, he's been a, a good beat writer, you know, an, an, an honest, upfront, hard worker, um, who's who's not a he's not a sensationalizing type of writer. He's very good at what he does. I believe he had it on good enough authority that he went forward with it. But uh, he he might have been fed some bad information, which is unfortunate for him and unfortunate for the Clarion Ledger. Because when I see Mississippi State respond to it as strongly as they did, I mean that I really want to believe that they would not have. they wouldn't have cracked back so aggressively against the clarion ledger and bonner specifically they 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 mentioned the paper and the writer by name and used the word irresponsible i don't believe that they would have used that aggressive a comeback unless they really didn't have this thing completed and they felt like the report getting out when it did put their search uh or the completion of their search in some sort of jeopardy all told, though, if you're Dr. Keenum and you crack back on Bonner the way you did, and then next week you announce John Cohen as your athletic director, you need to say something else. You need to come back around and clean that mess up. But he's not going to do that. Oh, he's probably not going to. He's probably not going to do going to do that. But um, you know, and, and I don't, I don't think Bonner will be like the "I told you so" type. I, I can't speak for the the rest of the staff at the Clarion Ledger, but that's that'll be very interesting to see how that plays out. I don't know. That's but it's it's a lot of drama, I'll tell you that. I'll tell you what I think. <laughs> it's a very good uh no one does everyone has forgotten the lay down of the football team last Saturday against Auburn. Yeah, because of was... all this. No one remembers that the the Bulldogs were down thirty five nothing at home to a very subpar Auburn team that should not have happened. I don't know. I don't know that I would call Auburn subpar. They're not thirty five to nothing better than Mississippi State, or they shouldn't be. Well, (laughs) they shouldn't be. They might be, but I don't know about shouldn't. They should. They shouldn't be. I can tell you that. So I, uh, you know, that's uh, that's what I think. I think there's a lot of stuff going on up there uh, that uh, that they would like to not cover up but just kind of let put it on the back back iron and let people figure that out later on mississippi and, state um, plays at byu tomorrow uh an awesome friday night game yeah nine o'clock uh, too. for your right nine nine o'clock central time start they're over in provo uh think you might want to check provo out sam think you could do well there i've uh, but, <laughs> i've been there too <laughs> but uh uh anyway that's gonna be i i am interested to see listening to dan mullen's post-game comments uh, his post-game press conference after the Auburn game and listening to his weekly press conference on Monday afternoon, he talked a lot about how inexperienced and young this team is and talked about how these guys have to learn how to apply what he calls maximum strain and uh, maximum effort on every single play. Even went so far as to say, you've got guys that don't know yet what their maximum ability to give in each play is. 
And when you ask them coming off the field, did you give your best? And they say yes, but then you go back and look at it on film and you say, do you still think you did your best? And they say, no, I had more to give. So the interesting thing is he talks like this is a young team that's still learning and it is going to get better. Uh, There are some state fans that want answers right now. Uh, I can certainly understand that. You don't want to be down 35-0 at the half in a conference game at home. Uh, that is uh, not appealing to your fan base. <laughs> Very Houston Nut-esque is what it is. It's not good at uh, all. Well, look, and, and a lot of guys are reading a lot of things. You know, he's changed agents recently. Um, and, and the thing is, he has stayed rather upbeat. Or he seems um, rather emotionally unchecked by the negative results that they've had on the football field. Kind of like, you remember, um, who was it, Aaron Brooks, that <laughs> used to quarterback the Saints, and he'd throw five picks a game, and after every pick, he'd just be like grinning ear to ear, and it's like... Shoulder shrug and a grin. You know, dude, you just threw a pick. Be mad or something. Be sad. Be upset. Be something. But just don't look like, you know, you just had a lollipop after, you know, throwing your fourth pick of the game and losing another game. So that's an analogy that I see Mississippi State fans maybe making with their head coach right now. But um, he talks about how they're having, you know, they're working on blocking the outside opinion out and staying focused and learning to give maximum strain. He feels like they have the players, they have the players that have the ability, they've just got to learn not talent-wise, but they've got to learn effort-wise to play at an SEC level. And he says they're not there yet, but he says they're working at it and they're getting better at it each week. So we'll see. Uh, That's what makes this BYU game, which I think early in the season a lot of people thought would be kind of a – it would be a big game for Mississippi State season because you thought they had an opportunity to get to six or seven wins maybe this year – and that might be a toss-up game that determines whether or not they go to a bowl. Now I think it means something very, very different, uh, especially they the way they got punched in the mouth and rolled over at home against Auburn. You want them to answer the bell against BYU, a BYU team which uh, is, is good. And so I, I think Mississippi State fans want answers. Uh, this is another watermark game for, you know, basically, and when Dan Mullen says that, you know, it's not a talent issue, um, and it's not a skill issue. I think fans want to believe what he's saying. I think they want to believe him when he says they have the right players in place. They've just got to learn how to play at the at the level that they're playing at. I think they want to believe him, but um, results need to start happening. So I think a lot of people will be eagerly watching this game to see if they improve in those very areas. A couple of Tomorrow season night. ticket holders that I spoke with uh, last night, and you don't want this, Jay, because this is like bad news. Uh, both of them had to sell their tickets last week and were happy that they did so. <laughs> and then, two, they are not planning on making any effort to watch the game tomorrow. And that's where you don't want it to get, to some sort of apathetic situation where fans and alumni are not particularly excited about even participating in the game atmosphere at all and uh they they've really got a big one tomorrow they really need to get a fast start and come out and and play well and and uh and show and show their fans in the state of mississippi that they're uh 
in it to to win it, so to speak. I guess. Yeah, this that was uh, an ugly look last Saturday. This BYU team, uh, they have they're three and three on the season. Uh, they have uh, three losses by a combined seven points. Those were uh, at Utah, uh, a home game to UCLA, and uh, at or in a neutral site game against West Virginia. They lost 35-32 to West Virginia, 17-14 to UCLA, 20-19 to Utah. They beat Arizona uh, 18-16. They beat Toledo 55-53. All these games are close. And then last week they blew out Michigan State, who made the college football playoff last year. Uh, But Michigan State seems to be reeling right now. But they went to Michigan State and won 31-14. So BYU comes in on an impressive high, a couple of wins in a row. And uh, three and three on the season. Meanwhile, the flip side of that is Mississippi State comes in, uh, getting hammered in their own park by Auburn, uh, convincingly. So uh, it sets up to look like a BYU squash. Uh, but that's why they play the games, because uh, oftentimes what looks like might happen doesn't necessarily happen. But it is homecoming for BYU, so the halftime will be about forty-five minutes. So the game might end at about one o'clock Saturday morning. All right, we're going to take a break. When we come back, we'll have Michael Bonner from the Clarion Ledger interview I conducted with him yesterday in in, uh, reference to uh, his report yesterday, citing sources that John Cohen is going to be the next athletic director at Mississippi State. Talk about that, how he vets sources, uh, the way he worded some of the the claims in his article, uh, his column, or excuse me, not column, but uh, report, and uh, a little bit about... um, the way Mississippi State responded to it. That's coming up after this timeout. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. To listen to stories and shows, go to mpbonline.org. This has been an an interesting situation that has uh, unraveled today, starting with a report that John Cohen is to be named Mississippi State's next athletic director, according to sources. And uh, that was a report Michael put out this morning that has been uh, adamantly denied by Mississippi State on a a handful of accounts within their camp. But uh, we have Michael on with us now. Michael, thanks for your time. Good afternoon. How are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing well, man. First, let me thank you for... uh, Agreeing to come on the show in uh, extremely, uh, with extremely short notice and, and quick turnaround. Uh, let me ask you uh, first thing, the first question that jumps into my mind when I see what you reported and I see the way Mississippi State responded to it. The first thing that I want to ask is when you mention sources and when you determine when what you hear from sources you can go forward with in your writing how do you vet that process how do you vet your sources in that process personally sure uh i mean journalistically speaking it's a relationship and it's you gain trust over uh, an amount of time which is why when you see young reporters or newer inexperienced reporters at a certain location it's more difficult to break stories and, and go with things because you need to have trust you need to develop a relationship and you can't develop those relationships um 
over a, a certain amount of time. It, it just it, it takes time to do that, and you can't do it in a month. You can't do it in a couple of weeks. It, it takes a couple of years for some uh, relationships to to delve into that uh, um, level of trust that's needed. So I, I think that's you just gain a, a trust with the person, and then kind of associate who they are. I mean, you can trust some of your friends, and if your friend says something, well, that that may not mean something, but if it's something else, another person, I guess, higher up the food chain uh, within a certain whatever it may be. It doesn't have to be a Mississippi State. It could be any uh, the White House, you know, any business, Samsung, Apple, whatever it may be. Uh, you, you gain that relationship, gain that trust, and then judging on how high that person ranks and how much you know their knowledge because you have that relationship, you kind of weigh the, the um, – what 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 you need to go, what you need to hold with, and that's I think journalistically speaking, that's how you handle those situations. How much does uh, your sports editor and and the the senior editor for the paper? How much do they play a role in the decision whether or not to go forward with something like this? A lot. I mean, uh, it's kind of a fluid situation where they kind of know where uh, I'm at, and I want to know where they're at. It's not something where every single day this is happening. They're not. I'm not. Sure. You know, sending the executive editor of the paper my my daily <laughs> budget, but when big stories like this happen, uh, the entire paper, uh, the managerial staff is, is made aware of it and talks about: Is this good? Do we need more? Do we need less? Or is it good to go? So I think, yeah, it's it's a fluid situation th- through me, my editors, and then upper management. So let me ask you: the, the way some people react to something like this, uh, you know, especially you know some fans when they see the way that uh, Mississippi State uh, officially kind of uh, aggressively reacted to this, that they want to think aggressively toward your work as well. Uh, I, I just, how much work do you put into this? I, I say that because the way some people react is like, you know, you rolled out of the sack this morning and decided, hey, how can I blow up their athletic director search with 600 words? And that, that's not the way it works. How, how How much work and how much time have you built into this process leading up to this story that you wrote today? It's an ongoing process. I mean, it's a month's worth of work. And as I said, it's it's a couple of years' worth of work. When you look at, uh, I said, the relationships that I've built in, in, uh, in that sense. So, yeah, it's certainly not something where I just, you know, heard someone on the street say it and, and went with that. It, it's it's a, month, a month's worth of work certainly put in, and uh, that's where we kind of arrived today. All right, so let me ask you this, um, playing the other side of it a little bit here. Um, when I read Dr. Keenum's response, I thought to myself, well, you know, that that's pretty aggressive uh, to go after Mike and call it an irresponsible report, uh, you know, when, when you are citing sources that John Cohen is to be named MSU's athletic director. But in some of your story, you do write it as almost like it's a past tense thing, like this is a, it's, it is, it is sealed, it's done, and it's going to happen. And that kind of that blurs the line between sources and something that you are reporting firsthand. Do, do you see that at all? Do you understand that? No, sure. And I understand that they, they have uh, um, reason to uh, to protect themselves as well. They have a job to do just like I have a job to do. And mm-hmm. I understand that. And I hope that they understand the same thing. So, a- a- again, I understand where they're coming from. I have to work with them a lot. Uh, so it's, it's certainly nothing um, that, you know, I take personally or um, sure. am offended by, I guess you could say. All right. Um, so I know this is a, a story that is in progress uh, and it's moving forward. You've updated it with uh, the, the university and, uh, and President Keenum's statement as well. What can we expect to see in print uh, tomorrow and, and what are you working going forward with this? 
Yeah, I think it's, you know, another thing where uh, they, the story that you see online will probably be the print edition tomorrow, and then it's, you know, kind of what's next for Mississippi State. That'll probably be a little bit uh, more down the road uh, when the university officially announces uh, something. But, yeah, right now it's just – it is what it is. I stand by the story that's been printed, and um, – yeah, there's really honestly nothing more to say than that. Right. Finally, let me ask you, and, and this, this, depending on who, what beat writer you ask, this, you'll probably get a, an independent and different personalized answer for anybody you ask this. But you are a beat writer for an entity, but you have a specific beat at a school or an athletic department. Um, and, I, and I know you work in close proximity to that athletic department on a daily basis. How much of a fine line is it that you have to walk, and how difficult is it, uh, the line that you have to walk with responsibility to journalism and the newspaper that you write for and access to the, to the, the information that you need for the beat? Right. I think it's something that you, you walk daily, but as long as you, again, I think it goes back to those relationships, and a lot of journalism is relationships. If you build those relationships, people understand that you're just doing your job, and there's respect there, just like I respect the people at Mississippi State greatly. Uh, I can't do my job without them, just like they can't do a lot of their jobs without me, uh, specifically in media relations. Uh, We benefit greatly from each other on 99% of the days, and there's going to be days like this where there's some heated debate and, you know, I guess barbs thrown at each other occasionally, um, but... At the end of the day, as I said, 99% of the time we have to work together, and it's a working relationship. So that's why I, I just try to, you know, do my job. I kind of as the the horse racing analogy, I have my blinders on, and people are free to say what they want and, and talk about what they want, and to a degree believe what they want. And there's my story out there, and I stand by it. And that's, as I said, at the end of the day, all I can do. All right, tough questions right there, fielded with veritable ease. Michael Michael Bonner. Uh, Mississippi State beat writer for the Clarion Ledger. Thank you so much for your time, man. We appreciate it. Sure thing. Anytime. Michael Botter, Mississippi State beat writer, the Clarion Ledger. That was a interview I did with him yesterday afternoon. And uh, developing story. We'll see who's the athletic director at Mississippi State, if it will be John Cohen. When we come back, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about uh, the upcoming weekend and football, the high school football tomorrow night, college football on Saturday, and the Major League Baseball playoffs continue on. I'm going to levitate while we're talking about the playoffs, Jay. There you go. That <laughs> and more coming up. This is MPB Season Pass on Think Radio. Listen to stories and shows. Go to mpbonline.org. Welcome back. This is MPB's Season Pass on Think Radio with Sam Wells. I'm Jay White. All right, Sam. So we got... Um the Chicago Cubs in the National ooh, ooh, ooh. League. Let me get on my cloud real quick. Ah, oh, boy. <laughs> the Chicago <laughs> Cubs in the National League 
championship series, and I know uh, you're excited. It was a uh, very interesting. Uh, post my bedtime, come from behind. Yeah, I was, uh, in that I was blowing you up on the uh, text message, and uh, I was like, "Man, Jay hates me right now for some reason." <laughs> I was. T- I mean, look they they fell behind. Uh, what was it? Was it five to three or five something? Two. Five two. Uh, after the, well, I don't know. Maybe, am I confusing games? I thought no, Arietta no, no. hit a three run home run. That was uh, game three. Okay, Arietta that's hit right. A three run home run, and that's then the Cubs right. were up three two. They going lost into that the game. Eight. Yes, and that was very interesting. I thought they had it when they when he hit that home run off a of Bumgarner and they ran him out. I thought they were going to sweep the series, but uh, very interesting. But yeah, Matt Moore. Okay, that's that, that's game four. Yes, um, boy, it's all running together. But um, Matt Moore's hundred and twenty pitch incredible outing was uh, very basically wasted. I know, right? <laughs> they, the traded, they traded. They uh, traded. Uh, traded uh, with the Tampa Bay Rays uh, to grab him, and boy, I mean, he gave them. I mean, he was, Everything he was okay in the regular season with them as he was with the Rays this year. But uh, when it counted, boy, he came up aces in the in the playoffs right here. And then their bullpen, which was their Achilles heel through the season. Yeah. Uh, came th- up. Yeah. It happened again. So Let here's me ask the deal. You, you're a, so you're a baseball guy. Let me ask you about this. Uh-huh. And I don't want to get into too much minutia uh, with player names and things like that because – uh, you know the listeners may not have been watching the game, and they're maybe not as they may not be as focused on it as uh, as you and I. Uh, it, well, as I were, you were asleep. <laughs> right. So, if you're in that situation, do you a leave Matt Moore in this game and see if he can get through, or do you run out? I think Bruce Bochy got outmanaged in this situation because of his righty lefty righty lefty righty lefty righty lefty deal. That's a lot going on there for a team and a bullpen to have to deal with every two to three minutes. Yeah, it's interesting. I, I think we're learning a lot about how, you know, what managers have to deal with on a on a day to day basis, and how because the last five years of baseball managing pitching staffs has totally changed. It has. Well, it's 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 increased uh, in terms of, um, you know, with. With the way the teams have statistics, and, and um, the, the, I mean the way that they can they can use statistics to break down tendencies in hitters and in pitchers these days, uh, the sabermetrics of the whole thing, the numbers guys that you have, um, it's it, it's it's pretty alarming now because uh, managers. But here's the thing. Here's what I was talking about earlier: the the way the bullpens work. And the way you have to manage bullpens for a 162-game schedule turns out to be very different from the way that you need to manage a bullpen for a five-game series. It's very different. Uh, and sometimes, some, some managers, I think, like Terry Francona, for example, he managed his bullpen amazingly. Uh, and Andrew Miller... Uh, might be I don't know if he was I don't know if they named an MVP for the that NLDS. They don't do it for the uh, the DS. If there was, <laughs> he might be the guy because uh, a couple of those games I know he threw two innings in and they didn't save him. Traditionally, that setup guy is going to be the eighth inning guy, and then the closer is in the ninth. Uh, but Francona realized, and this is the thing John Cohen did a couple of years ago. Remember when he uh, essentially uh, flipped. Uh, and I can't remember the the young guy's name now, the starter, that the little lefty that won like 14 games that year. But 
they basically flipped the bullpen in the starter's role. Like the starter would go like three innings, and then they would bring this guy to the pen and throw like he would throw like seven innings, uh, like every outing in relief. He would be the relief pitcher, but essentially he was he was he was taking on the starter innings for the game. Yeah. Uh, that was very interesting. But for Francona to understand that a lot of times where where the game gets away from you is your middle relief. Uh, oftentimes your setup guys and your closers are your best relievers, and then all of your best pitchers typically are your starting pitchers. And so naturally you've got that lull in your middle relief. Uh, well, you know, putting Miller in that spot where he pitches like the sixth and the seventh every game, I mean, I, I think they want their starters to, to carry a little bit more of the load in the ALCS. But, uh, man, Miller was remarkable in the in that division series and how he was lights out in those middle innings. But, um, yeah, I, I think Bochy – now, look, Bochy's won three world championships in the last six years, but um, – so obviously he's he's done a decent job at managing his pen, but I don't know this. Um, yeah, it looked like it caught up with him a little bit right there, especially when you're behind as far as you are in the series. Um, uh, well, I guess it was two to one, but I, I don't know. That's Buck Showalter, a one game wild card scenario, best pitcher. Didn't a get guy, used, yeah. argu- I mean, arguably the best pitcher in the American League this year. Yeah, I mean, there's so I mean, many he ways. might win the Cy Young. There's so many different ways to do it, but I just think uh, if you're going to bring somebody in there, Sergio Romero was their closer. I don't know why you just don't bring him in. I mean, to bring somebody else, someone in individually to face, you know, Anthony Rizzo, someone individually to face. Uh, oh, I can't even remember who the what the the lineup uh, the lineup was at the time, but to just bring someone in individually to face individual players, and I think Bochi changed pitchers twice when uh, the Cubs announced former Ole Miss Rebel Chris Coglin was going to be. You know, a, a pinch hitter, and then yeah. they brought him back in and put in Wilson Contre- uh, Contreras, who then the manager, then, you know, uh, they changed again. Uh, it's just so much. There's so many wheels uh, just spinning around with all that, and I just think it got to be too much. Well, and this is what we talked about when we talked about, when we talked with um, Ben Ingram, we did our baseball playoff preview. The problem is, is that you can't get in a depth battle with the Cubs. Yeah. That's the one thing. I mean, outside of their youth and their pitching and all this kind of stuff, their 25-man roster, take the pitchers off. When you're talking about the 13 position, 13 or 14 position players that they carry, there's no drop-off anywhere. I mean, and that's the And they thing. can play every position, too. The, yeah. To watch the bottom of the ninth in that game when the Cubs had to put, they put the pieces back together, Ben Zobris was in left field. He was in second base. Yeah, and I mean it's just uh, it's crazy. The the or no, he was at shortstop because they lifted in, uh, Russell for Contreras to come in there and, and make the switch. Well, and so Baez was amazing and, in that series. Yeah. And oh my I gosh, mean, look, a future I mean, superstar. They uh, didn't there. carry Caesar on their roster and, and decided to carry uh, Almora instead, who's a guy that spent most all the year in Iowa. Yeah, um, and he it, makes the game basically a game saving catch in the uh, in the outfield for uh, for this uh, for the game three to get it, to send it to, to extra innings. It, yeah, it's an amazing uh, turnaround for this team and a team that I've watched since I you know was very very young. But yeah, that, uh, that Cubs that team, roster is ama- is just the, crazy. Yeah, the deal with them is that unlike so many other teams, they can they can play um, defensively. They can, they can manage defensively, um, or they can go, you know, lefty-righty matchups. They can play by the book. They can play defensively matchup. Uh, 
Yeah, um, they could play small ball if they needed to. Well, Jason Hayward and couldn't. they don't they don't lose <laughs> anything. That's the that's the deal. But I mean, their offense is so strong that they can afford to have Jason Hayward, who is one of the oh. who, who may be who is possibly the most. And I can't believe I'm saying this, the most feeble regular offensive starter in the National League. Yeah. Um, you were sleeping, Jay. The bunt, the sacrifice bunt he laid down in the ninth inning the other night, it was unreal. He literally bunted it very, a very hard bunt on a line drive back to the pitcher's mound. Like, I, I've never seen that before. Yeah. And, and he, uh, he was he was so good when he came up. I just, oh, my God. He the, looks like a superhero out there. I mean, yeah. that's what's so, uh, what throws you off. But well, the thing is, is defensively, he is so good. And he is so above average defensively that they can afford to run him out there and play him in right field, uh, you know, 130 times a year, 120 times a year. Uh, but they can cover up with him offensively, put him at the end of the lineup. But their lineup is so deep. And for heaven's sake, their pitchers hit so well uh, that they can make up for it. You know, if there was ever a team that could hit their pitcher eighth, and I know I think Madden's done that some. I don't know he if he's has, still doing it this year. He did it uh, last season a lot. Yeah. But uh, maybe that fad's gone away. I yeah. hope anyway. But <laughs> well, let's pick uh, let's pick some of these things. Who who do the Cubs? Uh, who do you think comes out of the other side of the National League tonight? It'll be the Nationals and the Dodgers. Man, let me tell you something. I I don't. I'm not a. And we super, don't have much time. <laughs> I'm not a superstitious guy, Sam. But uh, I think the Dodgers are going to win because I think the Nationals are cursed. Uh, a handful of years ago, when they shut Steven Strasburg down. Uh, his what was it? His rookie season, or either yeah. his second, second season, year. when they were miles away in the National League East, and they were the best team in the league at that point, and they were a one of the front runners to win the World Series, and they shut down what was their best pitcher at the time for an innings limit thing. Man, what are you doing? I mean, Davey Johnson, what happened to you, man? Uh, I mean, you don't shut a guy down. I mean, the object is to win the World Series. Not to save this guy for the next four or five seasons. He wound up having surgery anyway. And ever since they shut him down, and then they blew a 2-0 lead in the division series that year, and I think they've lost a couple of division series since then. And then what, were they up 2-0 in this one right here? The, no, it was 1-1. Oh, okay. Going back to right. Well, anyway, it's, it's 2-2 now, uh, and they had a chance to close it out. It was 5-5 in the ninth. Yeah. They were um, um, in game yeah. four. I don't know, man. I don't know. Chase Utley, though. That's, uh, man, talk about a guy that resurrected his career. I mean, a couple yeah. of years ago in Philadelphia, he basically hit 200 for the season. Hey, I'll tell you another guy that's resurrected his career. He starts tonight, former Cub, Rich Hill. Rich Hill, yeah. Who was kind of a uh, who was a joke a little bit with the uh, the Cubs of um, Lou Pinella. He was a punchline for <laughs> Ozzie Guillen when the brawl happened, you know, with uh, Michael Baird and A.J. Pruszynski and all that stuff. Yeah. Uh, so Rich Hill has resurrected his career, too, and wouldn't it be – fitting for him uh, to face the Cubs or Dusty Baker to face the Cubs biggest season uh, biggest game of the season for the Dodgers and um, it's in Rich Hill's hands he got started with the A's this year got a great curveball he's got he's got maybe the best curveball in baseball but um, it's very interesting and uh, Kershaw um, some yeoman's work in game four coming back on three days rest throwing uh, seven innings uh, striking out 11. He obviously wasn't his sharpest, but uh, but uh, he did what he needed to do, and uh, the offense picked him up and got him in. It's going to be a great game today, though. 
But here's the thing. The, the Nationals paid Max Scherzer a bajillion T dollars. For tonight. Um, and, yes, this is it. And he called it the biggest game he's ever pitched. He said it's the biggest game in his life. And to this point, it will be. And so we'll see. Did I mean, he pitch it, in the World uh, Series for the Tigers a couple of times? Uh, well, I, I don't know. But it's... It, I think I like so, where his head's at. But they yeah, I mean, it's, set up a great game tonight. He is the ace of that staff, and this is a you know win or go home type of game. So we'll we'll see. I don't know. Very interesting. And then uh, of course on the other side, Blue Jays and and the uh, Cleveland Indians. You have two of the best, uh, you know, managers thus far. I mean, Terry Francona does what he does, and then of course uh, you have the Blue Jays and uh, John, Gibbons, John Gibbons, man, former and, Jackson Met, and those uniforms, man. I know you Ooh, love those Blue Jays. They look good. They I tell you good. what, I, I like the Indians. I think they're. I think the Blue Jays have more talent. I think the Indians are a more complete team. And I just, man, Terry Francona is a difference maker. And Terry Francona looks like an uh, like a uh, a slightly overweight Mike Bianco to me. He kind of does. Yeah, I never thought about that, but he <laughs> yeah. kind of does. He he's one of those guys that kind of like looks Mike like Bianco, um, that, eats, that drinks Coke instead of water. <laughs> <laughs> not a, not a, not a big weight gain, but just enough to where I can tell that. It's a little extra bigger. sugar. That's yeah, all. Yeah. That's all. He's a little not sweeter. A, he's not a Cook Zero guy. Right. That's great. <laughs> Which is, you yeah. Know, yeah. Frank Kona looks like that guy. He's your cool uncle. You know? Everybody's got that one cool uncle they love to hang out with. Yeah. Always does cool stuff all the time. Lives that life. Yeah. That's, that's Tito Francona. He's Managing your cool the uncle. Indians is pretty good. Man, he's an amazing manager. The Indians were nothing. He got there, shaped them up. He's a guy that he manages the clubhouse about as well as you can. Uh, knows how to put guys in a position to win. Uh, knows how to treat every guy like they're the star on the team, make them feel wanted and welcomed. Uh, uh, Madden is like that. And if the Indians play the Cubs in the World Series, uh, that sounds like uh, that should be what Major League the th- Major League 3 should have been, uh, the Cubs and the Indians. But um, Hey, those two teams matched up last year in a regular season series. They split the uh, the two-game miniseries. The Cubs won the first game 17 to nothing, and I think lost uh, the second game like 4-1. There you go. That's what happens when you score seventeen. You can't get one. That's that right. Sense. You got to save those up, divide it up a little bit. All right, Jace. We got two, we got about two minutes left in the uh, in the show. We got a great kids and teens episode. Everyone in the uh, in the department in the station is gathering behind you right now for <laughs> I know. the show. Uh, I feel it happening behind. Yeah, me. we were going to try and switch studios too, so to allow everyone to to, conglo- to conglomerate. But our news department is uh, doing some interviewing yeah. here to the uh, to the right. But uh, football this weekend, we'll pick the big uh, the big three games first. We'll go Southern Miss and LSU. Interesting matchup coaching wise. You got always uh, uh, oh, name uh, is Jay Hobson, yeah. coaching for Southern Miss. He was uh, on the defensive staff under Ed Orgeron when he was at Ole Miss. How about so, that? Uh, pretty, and Frank Wilson, who Southern Miss lost to last week, coaches yeah. at UTSA. Houston Nutt, hepping everybody. And everybody's getting in on the mix. And Hugh Freeze was on that staff, too. So it's uh, everybody's and the in. the Houston Nutt coaching tree. You mock, Sam Wells. <laughs> hey, I'm, you mock. It's running the league nowadays. It, it, uh, it's, uh, it's doing something. Uh, the Nick Saban coaching tree is not doing too hot these days with Mike D'Antonio doing so bad at Michigan State. But uh, anyway, Southern Miss LSU, you think that uh, the uh, Golden Eagles can keep this thing close? If Nick Mullins doesn't play, it's going to be rough. If if Nick Mullins doesn't play, I think it will be rough. It'll be interesting, though. Um, I don't know. I just think LSU can out-physical Southern Miss, All unfortunately. Right. And then of course, uh, Southern Miss is going to have to throw a bunch yeah. to try to stay in the game. And when they've, when they've been forced 
to throw a bunch. That's when they've become turnover prone, and LSU's defense, I think, will gobble them up. Unfortunately, I think LSU kind of walks away with that one. All right, and then, of course, uh, Mississippi State, the Friday night special tomorrow after you're done with your high school coverage. You can turn up Friday night under the lights and turn on Mississippi State and BYU. <laughs> turn right. down the sound on that set and turn up uh, you and Russ. Uh, and Jake. And yeah. Jake and everybody on there and George and everybody. So you think uh, State can win this thing and uh, and put some fans at ease? I don't think so. I don't I don't think they'll win it. I think there's a chance that they can be competitive in that game, uh, but their defense has to improve drastically. I think they're still learning. I, th- I think they're still um, – reading and reacting instead of just reacting defensively and that put them in a lot of bad angles against Auburn they're getting pushed around by Auburn yeah pretty bad and defensively between the Ozark Mountains it's Ole Miss and Arkansas but the Rebels get revenge after the last two games against Arkansas Woof, heartbreak and just a house of horrors up Out, in Arkansas outside of revenge here's the thing uh Arkansas is 0-2 in the league this is a must-win game for them it's a must-win game and I think Ole Miss offensively now that I mean especially with an off week uh, getting healthy, uh, I think Ole Miss rolls in this one. And uh, people start to ask Bielema why he can't win the big games of the league. All right, our uh, thanks uh, for Michael Bonner uh, coming on. It's uh, MPB Season Pass on Think Radio.